you're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world. By building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Samantha, welcome to the podcast. Again, we're here, Neurodiversity with Theo Smith and friends. Eliminating kryptonite and enabling superheroes, or just enabling people to lean into their strengths and be their best selves, right? Samantha, welcome to the podcast. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Your energy, Theo, I love it. It is magnetic. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I mean, I was blessed to be on the LinkedIn Accelerator program with you. And we met in London for the first yes. time, but we'd spoken before because of the incredible work that you do uh, with CIPD in Manchester, one of the biggest uh, groups. We'll get onto that later on. Um, <laughs> I love your energy as well. Um, immediate, immediate connection when you meet with somebody and see them. And there's just that, there's and maybe there's something around ADHD or, I don't know, but that energy that comes from somebody, you you can see it and feel it instantly. So, uh, yeah, I got that with you immediately, right? Uh, so, yeah. let's introduce people. Let them know who you are, what you do, a little intro about yourself. So, I'm Samantha Libantu, and I'm a diversity inclusion specialist and coach business and career coach, champion women of colour and allies. So I do a little bit of everything and I'm going to explain why I'm a bit of a smarties is the answer for everything in my life in a moment. But the main thing is, is to empower difference, to elevate to the highest heights that they can ever think possible, smashing ceilings, concrete ones that we have sometimes and getting past them all and really thriving in the world that we have at this moment. So... Samantha, you've shared with me before and um, you've just shared with me now before this um, about kind of what neurodiversity means to you, right? How, what Personally, how it impacts your brain. Maybe just start with sharing some of that as well, um, what it means to you. Yeah, if I go before I say what it means to me, let me tell you a bit of my, a little bit more of my story because actually I didn't know I was, I had neurodiversity until I was a little bit older, shall we say. <laughs> so my journey started off as, you know, going to school in Mossside, Manchester, I, you know, I thrived there, you know, quite creative. There's a lot of differences in the school. So people who, where their language is not their first. So people are generally struggling. So no one blinks an eye if there's anything going on because everyone's in the same level. No one notices. When I got to a point, because Mossside, I don't know if you know about Mossside, but it is known for its gun crime, violent gun crime, teen pregnancies my best friend had a child when she was 13 years old no one blinked an eye which is really sad um, my mum didn't want me to be a statistic so she sent me to a school outside of the area which was 
a little bit more fluent, definitely different to what I'm used to. And where I was now someone who was different rather than someone who was amongst the unique differences within the school. I was the only one. So the difference was, is it was also a technology school. So it meant that everything we did was on the computer. So again, bypassing a lot of stuff. I had a lot of stereotypes anyway, but nothing to do with my level of work. So I just got went unnoticed. When I hit to college and university, every single lecturer would highlight to me, are you dyslexic? I think you're dyslexic. And it just became a bit of a theme, everyone saying, are you dyslexic? And I was like, well, it's it's a kid's thing. Like, what can you do when you're an adult? Like, what, what difference does it make at this age? And I just ignored it, to be honest. I just thought, what difference does it make? I didn't realise that one of the things that I had to do in uni to get assignments done is as soon as they gave me assignment, I'd be in the library continually for whatever length of time, a month, constantly, where someone else would go, I'll do it the day before, and they'd get a distinction. I'd get a distinction, but I'd work extremely hard for that distinction. And I just remember when I, my brother was, he was severely, well, he found out he was dyslexic, later in life and he found out he was dyslexic and he it just his the walls just came everything just made sense he struggled in school they said that he they did loads of tests on him when he was a kid said he were he was actually considered a, like his iq was sky high he was considered a genius but they said we just can't understand why he couldn't spell why he couldn't string sentences together in the written form and when he got older and was diagnosed with dyslexia, we just couldn't believe that they didn't spot it when he was a kid. It just, it was there. It was like right there. And I was like, right, it's time for me to find out whether or not I also have dyslexia because people keep saying that about me. And I, it was the last year of my master's and it was actually the last few weeks. And they told me that if you want to get this diagnosis, they have an on-site psychologist and this will be your last chance because then you'll be on a five-year waiting list or whatever it is. And I thought, I don't want, and it's free. Another benefit. So I went down and got this, I had to do all these different tests. I was there for quite a significant amount of time, quite a stressful process. And then she basically gave me my diagnosis, which was not only was I dyslexic, but she actually said that I was a bit of smarties like a bit of everything, which is just it's, it's part of my life, you'll understand in a minute, which is that I am on the spectrum for, at the time it was called um, Asperger's, which I didn't understand, and we now know is more autism. Uh, she also mentioned that I had learning difficulties for dyslexia, and she also mentioned ADHD. Again, I didn't understand any of the other words, I just glued in on dyslexia because that's what everyone was talking about so I, I actually brushed aside everything else and just focused in on this word that I knew dyslexia so I went to my work and said I've got dyslexia help me with whatever help you can give me they had no clue so I worked for a big FTSE 100 bank they had no clue how to support me they just said right uh we'll give you 25% extra time on your call we give you a bit more time on your calls when you're you're doing your calls the end and I thought that will do. And I didn't know how to address it either. I just didn't know. No one told you. It, was no, it just wasn't out there. And that's my story of of discovery. And it's interesting because uh, so that's how how long ago was the uh, did the psychologist give you the uh, concept of smarties, uh, a, a little bit of everything? 
a little bit of everything. <laughs> smart is just the answer. Yeah. So it was when, in fact, my top looks like smart is that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I think it was when I was just finishing uni. So talking about 10, oh my days, I'm like telling you my age here. No, <laughs> don't, don't do that. I'm just thinking 10 years ago. 10 years ago. No, but that's fascinating, right? Because if I think actually that's quite progressive um, in terms of, um, you know, we now know about the lack of diagnosis of girls in, in the school system and being missed and then being missed much later on. So actually, I, I, I'm just by the nature of what uh, that psychologist was sharing with you, I think was was quite valuable and quite progressive, right? Because they were able to show, even though at that time you didn't grab hold of it, same with me. I got diagnosed with just dyslexia at 21 as a mature student in university in the yeah. first weeks because I got something similar, you know, and uh, you must be type thing. And um, and I, did, I, did, I didn't have any other diagnosis, but I throw it out the window for the same reason, kind of. I couldn't see what to do with it. It was like there was no, there was, here's a computer, here's a bit of extra money, off you go. But I couldn't write. I couldn't write an essay. I didn't know how to spell. I didn't understand grammar properly. English was a kind of an odd one for me because I spoke two languages. So uh, uh, this, so neither kind of fitted my first language. I was kind of bad at both. Um, and so uh, I can I can really empathize and understand where you were at that time about the confusion around what do I even do with this? So what what did you do? Like you, so you didn't get help at that time. We, we, and we're talking about a 10 year journey now. At what point now oh, did you go? Yeah, so I didn't get any help at all. I didn't really know about it. And because I'm a black woman, one of the things I didn't want, especially in the world of work, I was trying to progress in my career. I did not want to have another label. I, it was already bad that I was facing different racial stereotypes and microaggression as it was coming from a very corporate banking world. I did not see that as an as a, an assistance to me moving on. What I did see as is a bit of support. So I only told my manager, and, and my managers change quite often, on a need-to-know basis. If they didn't need to know, I wouldn't tell them because it would go against me. I'm already, you know, I'm already going to struggle. Why add an extra label on to make me more? And there was no help. So they didn't know what to do with me. If you tell them, there was no help. And I think it took about five or six years before I went into my dream career, which was HR. And it was the first time where, because I was in leadership, I was doing all sorts of things where I didn't need to really be at the computer as such writing or doing reports or anything. But when I went into HR, it became very report driven, analytical. You had to be at your computer a lot. And it was the first time where I actually generally struggled. And it was the first time where I thought, I'm actually going to have to tell them that I have dyslexia and I need the support because otherwise I'm just going to fail in my dream career. And what I did was I told my manager, she's like, fine, whatever, just just call occupational health, they'll help you. They came and did a workplace assessment. They then said, you can have like systems, like things that help you on that, like software and stuff. And I was like, wow, you can have this that would do like grammar stuff. All these years by this time had passed. I had never had anything. No one ever told me I could get access to support to make my job easier. I could also record in my meetings and I didn't even know that I could do that. Like we record and it will then, you know, retranslate into, it was like amazing. It was like all the hours and time where I would normally go, you know, after work and spend hours just writing up things. I didn't have to do that anymore. There was software to support me with that. 
So it was like eye opening. Again, I knew that I couldn't tell anyone else. So I didn't tell any of my team. I kept it to myself because I believe if anyone knew that I also was a disabled, had a disability, it would really affect my career. And I just didn't want anyone to know. And again, I didn't hang on to any of the other words. It was just the dyslexia. I didn't think about what the psychologist had said any further than dyslexia is the only thing that's blocking me in my career. Let's just focus in on that. And it was great. From that that point onwards, I thrived. I absolutely thrived. And I say I thrived. I still had intersectionality of being a black woman in the workplace but I thrived in knowing I could still push and do it so that's how it all came about and how do you feel because you've when you talk about uh, intersectionality and thinking about the mask um and and the journey that you've taken and you talk about my side I um I I know Manchester very well because I spent a long part of my life in Manchester because that's what I studied and, and I studied in a theatre near Moss Side as well. I mean, it, it's a tough environment to grow up in, um, multicultural, diverse, which is incredible. But yeah, you're right. It is, a, there's a, it, it's a lot, not a lot of people, I imagine, come out of Moss Side um, and are able to uh, have a successful life and career because of the, the barriers that face, significant barriers that, face people within the education system and the journey that you've had that you shared with me has not been an easy one so how do how has that then impacted you you've mentioned about not wanting to share your dyslexia because you didn't want to be labeled but you've had many other instances and experiences that in in many respects would have stopped other people being able to progress especially in the types of organizations that you've worked in what has been your experience there how has that impacted the way that you now see things in the work that you now do so the first thing is it was it felt like it was something that was a shame you know it was shameful to be dyslexic because you know people will label you as stupid and not capable and not enough you can't do it and give you this stereotype there was incident instances where there was a really really good friend work colleague and we were friends and there was a project that we had to work on. And I there was we were allocating different parts. And I remember getting the part I knew was my biggest weakness writing, of course. And I was like, I know I'll thrive in this other area. But the only way for me to to kind of explain is I'm gonna have to tell who is my friend, why I I should be moved into the other role without looking like I just want to do something easier. So I explained to her, I'm dyslexic. She's a really good friend. She's known me about five years by this point. And I just remember her just changing her voice and going, oh, right, Samantha. Okay, so what we will be doing is, I'm like, I've known you for five years. You don't need to change the way you speak, the way you act. I just need that other piece of work and I'll thrive and I'll, you know, I'll smash it and you do the other bit. It's just going to take me longer. I can do it. It's just going to take me a hell of a lot longer. And it just remind, and that reminded me that I can't tell people this. I can't tell people this because even people who know me very well, who look up to me, even in some instances, as their experts in the team, I was one of the, I was one of the experts. I was seen as the most competent in the team. If I tell them this, they're going to suddenly look down on me. They're going to suddenly think that I am not no longer capable, even though I've achieved so much at this point. So 
it put my barriers back up and I was like I and, and another thing she would say is yeah but can you just take your, just just spend more time so she went straight into the medical model to how how can we fix this for you Sam just take more time slow down when you're writing maybe if you and like it can't be fixed just take your time you know and I was like it can't and it doesn't matter how much you tell somebody something they will try to fix the problem and I can't be fixed it's not a fixable solution. There is no cure. The only thing I can do is get assistance and support. But ultimately, I will be weak in things I'm weak in, and that's the end of it, really. So yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a journey, I would say, in terms of really kind of expressing this to people. And in all honesty, the first time I've actually shared it was last year. I never shared it with anyone. I shared it publicly online. And um funny enough LinkedIn picked it up and um it went to it went you know if you know LinkedIn it went they put it in their LinkedIn news it hit 130 130,000 hits it took <laughs> which is pretty impressive and then I was like oh my goodness I'm exposed <laughs> like I felt so exposed and then I felt so celebratory like I'm free I'm gonna cry now <laughs> So I'm actually getting really tearful because I felt so free. Yeah, I felt so free. But then I also knew, does this mean I'm going to lose work now? People are not going to think I'm competent now. Are people who are interested in working with me going to think she can't do the job? But then at the same time, I thought, I've got to be able to be the advocate and the ambassador for all those others that look like me and not like me, but are like me, who need that voice, you know, who need that voice. And I became that voice and I stopped caring about what others think of me. If it means I lose work, it means I lose work. More, more fool them. For I am an absolute genius. I know that I am incredible at what I achieve. Like my work is second to none. And I know that. So I know that it doesn't matter if you get me, you have got an asset, like a huge asset. And if you lose me, you've lost it. So I had to understand that in myself that, yeah, it may mean that people will, but people do that anyway. People choose on face value. People decide to work with me or not work with me. People choose, you know, when even as a diversity inclusion coach, people will choose to work with a white diversity inclusion coach because it makes them feel more comfortable than working with me as a black diversity inclusion coach because I'm black and that makes them uncomfortable because there's an intersectionality there that they're uncomfortable with the dialogue that's going to happen you know so I have to understand that in every asset of what I do it's here to stay I'm dyslexic and I'm proud I love it and you know what um, that is powerful and it's uh, it's powerful because clearly the emotion I feel quite powerful um, coming from you, but also the the barriers um, and to to come out, so to speak, and there will be people yeah. who understand and appreciate to come out and and show yourself as you are. When let's be honest, you have you have um, you've cut your own path. You've got into organisations that probably it's not been easy to do. You've been in a school environment. Um, Later on, you mentioned in sale that perhaps where you didn't see a a reflection of yourself and your own journey and your path and your community and your family, what have you, was potentially not reflected from what you said 
uh, there. So all of these instances, it feels like there's plenty of reason for you not to want to put yourself in that position of risk because you have a family, right? You have responsibility. You have a life that you've built that you fought hard for. That life is also reflective and impacted on your mum's journey, on, on, on the life that she's gone and, and time that she's given. And the kids, yes, yeah, they get involved, right? They want to be, they want to be heard. They they like their mama, right? They want to be heard. Hello. Um, so this is him. This is important. Let me go and put him down. And you yeah. know, it's um, it's it's uh, it's great to see, and 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 and, and I'm in huge um, like huge respect and admiration and support to the decision that you've made because you absolutely are empowering others and you're setting the path for your future generation this beautiful child you have with you at the moment which is a which is a beautiful reflection of the future generation and and the hard work that you're putting in so just kind of wanted to cut in and, and say that samantha how important it is um and and clearly not to undervalue it for any second of any day uh, because others will benefit significantly and we still have a lack of representation uh, broad that's broad enough when we consider neurodiversity right yeah and i think that is because of the shame and the stigma and the fact that individuals will feel like they've already got so many barriers why add another one why showcase what is benefit is it going to have for me and i can understand and appreciate that what i would encourage is you know if you are feeling anyone listening and they feel that way but they know that they may they have a diagnosis but they haven't shared just share it like i did on a need to know basis get the support that you need in your workplace like it transformed me <laughs> it transformed me just having system and software in and people don't know like people didn't know that that software came and it was on my computer they just didn't know and i didn't need to tell them i didn't tell them for my entire what 15 years in the workplace no one ever needed to know on an it was just on a need to know basis so I would encourage you to get the support you need so you can thrive, basically, like I did. I, I thrived. I did. I thrived. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I know. And you're doing well there because you, you, we, we've got extra entertainment, mainly because I'm also doing silly faces at the same time you're trying to... Uh... <laughs> You're trying to, but this is the important thing, right? The the thing that drives us, the thing that gives us energy. Um, there's a big connection for me um, between family and history, and um, and trying to change the narrative and change the future for others. Like you've, I think of some of the work that you now do at you know CIPD Manchester. What is it like? One of the biggest in the country in terms of CIPD yes, groups. So CIPD, just so for those who are listening, it's Chartered Institute of Personal Development. It is the accrediting, it's the official crediting body for HR professionals and their professional development. I am the current chair of the Manchester branch. The, in terms of memberships, one of the biggest memberships in the world. So in the world, it's 160,000 members. And in Manchester, we're looking at about 8,000 members, one of the biggest ones outside of in the UK. And I believe yeah. Ireland is a little slightly bigger, but then they're, you know, they're a whole country. So it's not quite the same. We're like, you know, we're just a city. So we are still the biggest in terms of size. And well, and I see, you know, and, and I've said this before, and I, I kind of, 
and, and it may not be a true fair reflection, but it's just the way that I see it, because I'm from a HR recruitment background as well, right? So I say this from within, working within. Um, I've always felt CIPD um, is perhaps <laughs> not always that reflective of all communities, um, and that's because it's not always easy. It's privileged to have people to access for a number of reasons, you know, I imagine to okay. even go to the um, even to go to the events, to the evenings and stuff, you need the time, you need the flexibility. Well, when you have lots of children, there's a, a added complexity, there's the cost of childcare. So there's a number of reasons why you can't be a part of a community of that type. And if you're not seeing representation in there, do you want to show up anyway? So for and and then the 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 body itself in terms of policies and procedures sometimes are based on I feel like a lot of um historical data well we now know that hr and recruitment and neurodiversity is changing rapidly by the minute right so how does an organization like that stay up to date when the speed of what's happening within the world yeah definitely so first of all i think hr so we're talking about you know <laughs> i'm gonna probably try and put him down the minute but i think in terms of hr i think is not respect reflective of diverse communities it is has been predominantly white women generally if you think about hr it's generally white yeah, yeah. women like that for for my entire career in the hr profession i remember going in and there was never anyone that looked like me let's just face it there is no one in hr that looks like me it's interesting though because when you're studying hr because i did a master's in hr did a degree in hr it's very diverse when you're studying, but then actually to break into HR, which is already very competitive, it's very hard to get in. I struggled to get into HR. I kept getting the word, even when I was successful at interview, I was actually successful at interview for the same role five times. And I was told you were successful, but I don't know what it is, but uh, you, I don't think you fit. You're just not a fit. I'm like, I've been in the same company for five years. I'm an outstanding performer, A-rated. I meet all the values. I've actually been successful in the interview. I was probably the only person who interviewed. But they go, I just don't think you'll fit here. I'm not too sure what, the, what it is. I'm going to put you into the talent pool. And imagine having that happen like five times, like for the same role. And I had to keep pushing and pushing. Because what was happening is people were just recruiting the same version of themselves over and over again the reason why I didn't fit is because I just didn't look like you I didn't sound like you I may not even act like you and it just made people uncomfortable which is a shame it's basically racism you know it was racism and they couldn't and I couldn't identify why I just don't know what it is I just I just don't think you would fit here in this team and I will never forget that because when I look back at that time I just thought I'm so used to hearing it I didn't know till now you know I didn't know what it was then I just thought why am I always facing the same barriers but if you think about it I faced those barriers how many other women of color face those same barriers it says that for white black you know black women they need to go for the same job five times before they're five times more than a white person before they can actually break into that particular job five more times example me but if we're always doing that, how hard is it for us to actually get the dream job? So they end up sitting in the same positions. Maybe the HR admin, for example, forever. I know people who stay in the same roles 20 years 
not moved on because they're struggling to progress. Just not fair. It isn't a fair and equitable society we live in. So when we come to the CIPD, one of the things that I, I have to say is that Peter Cheese has always been an advocate of differences. He would come up to me randomly. We'd be, have loads of people in there that all look the same except for me. And he'd just walk over and go, why is it that you are the only one? And I'd be like, God, he's pointing me out here. And he goes, it's not good enough in this HR profession. He's been saying it for years. He's been saying, he's like, this needs to change. And I've never had anyone have open dialogue with me like that before, to be honest. It made me feel a bit uncomfortable because <laughs> I was like, no one ever talks about this. But just on that point, it so you've raised a point there. It It is uncomfortable. And sometimes I wonder, is that necessarily the right, it might be the right thing in his mind to do, but does that not make you stand out more? Like if somebody goes, why are you the only Welsh person, for example? Why are you the only, you know, why are you the only white guy in here if I was in a room? Like, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, why are you coming up and bothering me about it? I've just come here to attend an event and now you're like, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking around and maybe I'm, I'm already thinking it, maybe I'm not, but now I'm thinking it, right? You've just, so I, I kind of wonder, like maybe the, it's trying to do the right thing, but is that not, like, what if you weren't you and you're like, I'm not going back to that place because the one time I go into a place, uh, and, and and you you mentioned it as well, there may be lack of representation in one of your schools that you went to. So it's, it, I, I don't know, I'm asking it, sorry, I'm asking a question, I'm thinking out loud, because no, I've had this happen before. It, it's very and, interesting that you, you ask that question, because for me, I've always been pointed out. I've always had people turn around and go, where are you really from? No, really from, like, I'm from Manchester. So I've always been on the spotlight, like I realize a very, I'm I'm quite tall as well. There's so many factors. I've always realized that either I stand up for the right, you know, for stand up for the right things. Don't stand up for the wrong things. Always stand up for the right things. But ultimately, I'll be spotted regardless. Like if I'm going in the right way or the wrong way, people will always notice me. Simple as that. So for him to question that, I didn't actually know the answer at, at that particular point. I was more leaning to him. Well, what is the answer? And and he was and he was like, we need to do something. What can we do? So yeah. because I'm I was at that time, it was a committee meeting. So it's not like a normal event. It's a meeting with people who are trying to make change. It was more of let's do this from a collaborative point. But I get that point that if you just throw that to anyone, that would not be comfortable. Now, as I got and as I grew in my HR knowledge and skills and experience and understood that actually we it's ingrained. This needs to change from the, this needs to change from us. So I actually went, I remember going to Peter, Peter's, Peter's amazing by the way. And I just, you know, I challenged him and I just said, well, let, let's do something. For example, the magazine, let's just start with that. Like representation matters. And he took it on board. Like he is such a person who if you call it out and you say, what can, you know, he would take it on board and go, let's make the change. And I remember being saying, well, first of all, we can have more features of differences in the magazine. When you look at the magazine now, I can actually see that that change has happened consistently for the last 12 months. For me, I became the chair. I was clearly showing representation. There has been a previous chair, Olive, a few years back, but my role was to make diverse inclusion stand out. So on the branch in Manchester, it is probably the most that it is, it's not the probably, it is the most diverse branch in the CIPD. 
We have and no so it should be, right? If you think of the no, demographics of Manchester, right? It, it should oh, be. Oh, it should be. It should represent the, the communities in which we serve. So it does LGBT. We have uh, re different religions. We have many neurodiversity within within the branch. But what I've seen, which is I'm really proud of, what that means is that maybe that's diversity, but the difference is, okay, how do we have inclusion? How do we make sure this is represented in the members? How do we encourage people to come? But guess what? It's sometimes simple things. Having representation at the branch level, now when I look out to the events, the events are now diverse. In the last year, we've done more, you know, more in-person events. I have actually seen such a change just by having representation at the branch level. And people going, if you can do it, so can we. People taking the time to come out. And yes, for intersectionality, one thing we've got to understand is it is, you know, events are a privilege for some people. But now we have online, which makes it more accessible for you know people who can listen in online if they can't make the in-person people that are in coming into the, the in-persons now can see that you know they belong before they wouldn't feel like they fitted in but now they're right you know i make a point even to the things of if we've got food on we have an inclusion caterer you know i want inclusion caterers that have halal that have you know if we're going to say we're going to have put wine on non-alcoholic wine you know different you know they don't just want orange juice they want to be part of the celebration they want to choose and feel celebrated as well so make sure you know there's caribbean food now you know i'm caribbean there's african food there's um indian food we we go all out to make sure everyone feels included now and that's our manchester events if you ever come to a cipd event you'll find that that it is now very, very inclusive. And I am proud that that is happening. And I know that's happening as a result of me. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we do it at local level. I've, you know, taken the time to try to impact change at a national level and feeding into things like, well, what are the statistics? How can we support different groups? The CIPD have just started the CIPD Trust, which is another amazing initiative. That's there to support differences one of the things that they do is in the cipd trust is they have senior mentors to help black women get into hr so that is getting to starting point and actually help them to accelerate in their careers there's actually programs now to support them and that's part of the cipd trust they also help in ex-convicts ex say wrong word rehabilitating ex i think there's another word for it Sorry if I said the wrong word. It's not ex-convicts. It's um, ex-offenders. Ex-offenders. So we're not saying convicts anymore. I, I wouldn't Ex-offenders. Ex-offenders to be rehabilitated into the workplace. So that is part of the CIPD trust. The CIPD trust now is being made up of helping differences and supporting them into the workplace and doing it in the way that is sustainable. So there are work that is being done and it's, it's, it's a journey. I always say that it's a journey, but I see that it's going in the right direction. Festival of Work was the was the, it was a, um, in London. It was the first time they made that event for completely free. So now anyone could attend. And also just, it was free. So you've seen differences going in because not everyone has access to resources, if you can imagine. But also there was a difference in suppliers, you know, like the expo. So you see more small businesses, more diverse businesses. It was just amazing to attend. Now, obviously, we've got the CIPD event coming up in November. I'll be interested to see how that 
how we do that one in all honesty i know it's free to attend anyway in manchester unless you go and get the um the conference badge and go to that one it's always been free but it'd be interesting to see what the supplies are like and how diverse it is in terms of the people who attend now that there's such a change that's happened in the last year so and and that's brilliant and i love to see that and I, I really wanted you to talk about that because like my outward perception looking in um uh, that my my view is some of the negative concepts that there is lack of diversity that um you know we very much focused on the policies the procedures the, i don't know it gets which is common in those types of organizations right because they're big they're complex they're almost reflective of the big complex organizations that they're feeding into to support right but you, but this is what you're talking about and what we'll get onto now is the incredible work you're now doing what i'm seeing through um some of people that i work with um is an incredible increase in black talent um uh, becoming entrepreneurs of organizations like as wide and as deep as you can imagine uh, and I think that is incredible. Um, and uh, I, I, you just every everywhere I look now because I'm on LinkedIn so much. There is uh, there seems an increase in representation of of black entrepreneurs. And and I just think I didn't see that that not that long ago, right? This is this is a change. And that that is you have you can't ignore that as CIPD or as anyone else because those entrepreneurs are the entrepreneurs of the future HR tech companies, right? They're the entrepreneurs yeah. of HR service businesses. They're the entrepreneurs of uh, recruitment businesses that service in. So, so they're, they're diverse, but, but you're right. What you weren't seeing, and listen, this is not just about the CIPD, this is because you're doing incredible work for them. So I wanted to touch upon it. This is across those kind of associations and organizations more broadly where they're kind of membership bodies. Um, is that when you go to events, where are those black entrepreneurs? Do you know what I mean? Where is that diversity? Not just in terms of the people in HR or the people in sales or the people in marketing or whatever other association it is, but where is that represent representation on the ground from those supplier organizations when you just go on LinkedIn, some of the most incredible voices, impactful voices, talking about entrepreneurship, a black talent so sorry i just so just to, i'm trying to capture all of that and then feed you the the, the kind of the, the opportunity to share what you now do and how you're enabling some of that uh, specifically uh, black women entrepreneurs yeah so one of the things that so one of the things i am i am a career coach for women of color and allies i say allies because diverse inclusion individuals want to be coached by me what I found is that when they wanted to be coached, ten if there was ten women, seven of them, seven of them would say, "I want to own my own business, and I want to do what you're doing. I want to, you know, I want to impact change. I want to do marketing or whatever it is. Can you support me do that?" And I was like, "Well, of course I can. I, my my degree was actually in business and HR, so I was like, of course I can help you with that." And let me let me show you how to get set up. Let me show you my journey. So I became a business coach and a career coach to support them accelerate. And what I found is that there's a lot there's a lot happening. And I, I feel like just that just this podcast there's a lot happening in the world of work. First of all, what I want to just highlight to you is 
COVID. COVID unpacked a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And one of the things that it kind of highlighted, I don't know if you're aware of this, the first thing is that black women were more likely to be made redundant. They were more likely to lose their jobs. Um, They were more likely to quit because of caring responsibilities. So because of that, and I believe it was, again, this number five, I've got that on the top of my head. I think it's five times more likely to lose their job against a white person. Uh, during COVID, they were the more likely, the most likely to be selected. How sad is that? The interesting thing is, then a lot of them were then finding it very difficult to get back in the workplace. So then, naturally, what you would find is that people were saying, "Well, what else can I do? Go and create their own. You know, why you know sit doing nothing? Go and create their own industries." So that is what happened, and also the opportunity to be flexible. It's not just black women, but women in general. They have the ability to have a flexible life. I've got six children, six tiny children, and my business enables me to have a flexible life that fits around my family. So having a business gives individuals that amazing opportunity. And if you're black, like I said, black women, they have more caring responsibilities, not only for children, but it potentially could be the elderly, their, their, their mums and dads culturally we don't tend to go and put them into to care homes because it's not culturally acceptable. So they're more likely to take the, the care and responsibilities of the young and the old. So that means that they're going to struggle. So they need support. And what I found is they're on there, they are out there, but they don't have the same support. They don't have the same network. They don't they don't have the same resources. or So their chances are very are very low in the way that they will be able to accelerate their businesses. I'm going to get really, emo- I keep getting emotion on here because it's just touching a raw point. Um, and I always think of things like, uh, one of the things I think about is networking is, you, can, you know, your network can be your net worth. And if you don't have the opportunities to be in the same circles, you can't get to those networking events because you're caring for children. It can really have, a, a, it can really, you can really struggle. Which is reason why, actually, funnily enough, as I before I came on here, one of the things I'm doing in October to celebrate Black History is I am launching something for the very, very first time. Two things you're gonna think I'm you're gonna think I am out there, but this is me all over. One thing is that I am at the end of the October to celebrate is I am taking 25 Black women in business mums away on a retreat who couldn't afford it otherwise. So it's completely sponsored to for four days with their children, because that would be a barrier with childcare completely supplied and provided for. And I'm going to give them the most amazing time ever where they can develop their business, develop their confidence, develop their wealth, wealth, learning the wealth tactics, strategies, sales, all of it in four days i'm going to take them away because they'll never get this opportunity they may never get this opportunity so that is my like celebration of all that i do and then in october i know i'm really proud of that and i'm literally as i was speaking i'm getting all the bits ironed together and i can't wait to kind of launch it and share it this year it's 25 but my dream is that next year it's 200 the year after you know it's gonna grow and there'll be little you know streams up and down the country celebrating 
And in addition, I'm also, I've just launched my four small businesses, large businesses, corporates, HR professionals, business leaders, and business owners. I've literally for October to celebrate black history, but also to give them something. I've launched my very first CPD accredited diversity inclusion course to give everyone what they need from, you know, not be, knowing what to say, being afraid and building the confidence to getting clarity from a diversity inclusion perspective to actually getting my own blueprint strategy roadmap to take into their own companies. The ones that I, you know, would go into corporates with the ones that you can then do with your small business that have an actual real strategy that runs throughout the entire part of your operations from marketing to sales, to PR, to social media, absolutely everything I cover in two days and I'm going to do it in Birmingham on the 11th and 12th and I'm in the 17th and 18th I do it in Manchester so I will hopefully you'll be able to share this if you know share the links and things like that jump on yeah jump jump on not only are you going to be getting the blueprint to have a strategy overcoming fears and gaining confidence for diversity inclusion and learning so much from various different speakers as well as myself with my expertise but also you'll be sponsoring your place will actually actively be sponsoring black owned businesses whether it's the women in the, that retreat or in january i also do an a, um a, an accelerator business accelerator which is also partially funded you'll be literally paying towards making other businesses that are underrepresented successful so every reason to attend but also have an accredited course and also know what you're doing and how to do it. Most important, how to do it in the right way and get the right rewards. So I'm really excited. I think this is probably one of the biggest kind of risks I've taken in my business. I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm going to make sure it's small and it's impactful conversations in each cohort that I'm running because I want to make sure that people leave with hyper-personalized strategies that they can actually work with and go away confident as well. It's so amazing. It's incredible. And the thing, what, what you're doing there, Samantha, it's so important um, because it's really difficult. You'll know this well. It's really difficult to, to have the level of impact we want to have, right? We want to change the world all at once. We want to be able to make, we want to be able to do, help everybody, right? But being able to help um, 25 women in the way that you're doing that, being able to give them that experience, just think one of the impact that you have on them, um, the impact that you have on their families, the impact that you directly have on their communities because they can pass this knowledge and expertise yeah. forward. They can pay it forwards, right? But then think about what they go on to create, whatever it may be, no matter how small, no matter how big, but it will be built with care, compassion, love, consideration, power. Like the <laughs> so. Yeah, you like think of the ripples think of the ripple effect that that has and we need more love care compassion and power from <laughs> from women and uh, um uh, within this world and we need to enable that we just look at the way the world is at the moment we look at the challenges that we have we need diversity of thought we need the blessings of humanity to be able to support one another to enable one another so like do not uh, you say the biggest risk i say it's the it's the the best thing that you could be doing is what you're doing uh and easy for me to see and go the risk is worth it right but 
I think clearly it, it will is, be. It's because it. It's like, it is. It's definitely worth it. I agree with you. It's an amazing opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm really, really, really excited about it. I can't contain my excitement. It's going to be a packed month. But, you know, I want to make sure that Black History Month is celebrated the way it should be. How can we do sustainable change? How can we ripple, have a ripple effect? Not just one month. This is not going to be something that's one month. This is going to change lives, careers, everything that people are doing. And it's going to impact not just those, you know, how many I'm in the room, thousands, you know, or millions. So for me, I know it might be a small group, but it has a big impact. So I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about it. I love it. Samantha, this has been incredible. I think um, uh, we'll share the links. Um, and if people want to clearly support um, and help in any way, shape or form, I'm sure Samantha be happy to hear from you. Uh, in whatever way you'd like to help or engage or get involved in the learning and development, all the lovely content that Swan's creating. Clearly follow on LinkedIn because she also shares some of the uh, free-to-attend events and other things that she's doing. Um, and so where, where's the best place for people to connect with you other than all the links and stuff that I'll share um, at the end? Where, where well, should they reach out? My favorite platform, as you know, Theo, where we met is LinkedIn. LinkedIn is definitely by far my, my favorite platform. And it's where I will get vulnerable, to be honest. And I will share some of my, you know, unique, compelling stories. I'm all on all the other side. You know, you'll see me doing the occasional reel on Instagram. You'll see me on Twitter. I have no idea how to use that platform. Now, Freds, I'm on there. You'll hear me ranting about how you know I need help with the kids I've just decided to make that my little personal run in station the threads and I'm on Facebook so find me at this I have a private group called uh, diversity inclusion unlocked where I go live every week and I just talk about what's in the news how this and how that translates into your business and I just talk about a little bit of what I'm what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and why I'm doing it so if you want to get into my Facebook on it's just diversity inclusion unlocked that's it you'll find me and otherwise, you can follow me everywhere else. Samantha Libanzu. Samantha.libanzu is where you'll find me. L U B A N U. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's brilliant. Links will be in the links will be in anyway. And uh, listen, absolutely love and respect what you do. Um, keep going, keep smashing those concrete ceilings. They've got to go. Um, uh, we're here for you uh, in whatever way, shape, or form that we can be. You're incredible. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, eliminating kryptonite, enabling superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book, uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby, neurodiversity at work you can get it on amazon with kogan page our publisher and pretty much any other good bookstore enjoy look forward to your feedback and keep listening to the show thank you